0: I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. David Joachim joins me now. He's got a new book out. It's the third edition of his award-winning The Food Substitutions Bible, 8,000 Substitutions for Ingredients, Equipment, and Techniques. The first edition was released in 2005, winning an International Association of Culinary Professionals Award in 2006. It had a second edition in 2010. And... Now a new revised edition that's uh, well made from the folks at Robert Rose. It's a hard cover, handsome to look at, and uh, easy to keep open on your kitchen counter as one will doubtless uh, use all year long. Uh, it's not just a great resource with quick tips on what ingredients to use when uh, you uh, haven't got something on hand, but it teaches you a lot about what ingredients do. So yes, if you... Uh, uh, use something instead of an egg, you'll learn what the egg actually does, and what might be different if you use something else. This uh, gives us all uh, the room to experiment in the kitchen, adjust to our own tastes, and uh, use up whatever uh, we have in our pantries or fridges. The book is also beautifully illustrated with colorful depictions of all sorts of food by Emily Isabella. I'll ask Mr. Joachim, who I talked with six days ago, about trends in food and cooking, and uh, not just because of the pandemic, but in the years since the first edition of this book. Uh, I'll ask him about uh, what we all uh, need to have on hand, not just ingredients, but equipment. He uh, has uh, written, edited, or collaborated on more than 50 award winning and best selling cookbooks. Visit DavidJoachim.com for more information. He joined me from his home in Pennsylvania. Please uh, welcome uh, to the Plant Online Program, David Joachim. Mr. Joachim, good morning.
1: Hello there. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us. Um, It's near lunchtime here in Vancouver. I'm always curious to know when I have food people on what they had for lunch. What did you have for lunch today, Dave?
1: I had satay of tofu with fried rice.
0: And I assume that you, you made it yourself, is that right?
1: No, actually, this was some uh, leftover Chinese that I had from last night.
0: Ah, I see.
1: Szechuan. so a new Szechuan place in town here, and I uh, wanted to check it out. So, so no, I did not make that one, but I do often make tofu.
0: See, the, the thing that I always assumed about um, people like yourself, especially you, you know, who, who's written um, several cookbooks, I mean, over 50 cookbooks, that um, you're the sort of person that um, rarely goes hungry in terms of uh, you, you're not standing in front of the, the pantry or the fridge door, uh, wondering what to make. Um, I also assume that you don't eat out much, but I, I guess that's not true, is it? You're like, you're no, like I, us, um, aren't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do stand in front of the pantry and uh, throw open the kitchen doors and look what I, at what I have and see how I can put it all together. Maybe the difference is that uh, it just takes me a little less time to come up with something, because I, I do a lot. Uh, but I also eat out frequently, so, yeah, that that is not a fair assumption. Um, yeah. I think food professionals do actually eat out pretty often because uh, chefs are at the forefront of cuisine and they're doing things that um, home cooks may not have thought of yet and that do eventually trickle down, but people like me want to be on top of those ingredients and trends and uh, different techniques that um, chefs are using. So, yeah, I do, I do eat out um, at new places mostly. That's uh, that's why I go out to eat to try new places.
0: It's, a, it's an interesting thing you bring up because I mean the the the, the uh, changes, say, in food and cuisine, uh, both at home and um, say professionally, from the first edition to this now the third edition, um, people are savvier, aren't they?
1: They are, yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons for this book's existence. Uh, this, the Food Institutions Bible was first published. 2005. Mm. Back then, you know, there was a chili crunch in, uh, in supermarkets, and now uh, And people may see it in the recipe, and maybe they can't get it or they're run out of it, and they're looking for a substitute. So, in the newest edition, we have uh, ingredients like that that were not in the first edition. And but yeah, cuisine changes so much over the decades. Um, you know, people. Back in the 80s and 90s, pesto was a new kind of a new import from Italy, yeah. and now it's a staple.
0: Indeed, indeed. As I'm reading the book, you know, there are things in here like different sort of flowers. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, we probably only have one kind of flower in our kitchen. Now we're a little savvier oh. with that. Even even equipment like blow torches. Um, that's not something that was common, say, 20, 30 years ago, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with food television, the interest in and knowledge of food has just exploded everywhere, and people are more savvy, um, and they're more knowledgeable about things like a, a kitchen torch that chefs use fairly often, uh, and maybe home cooks weren't as familiar with it, but they may have purchased something like that uh, to make a meringue or uh, sear something quickly on the surface. Uh, so, yeah, that I, I think that... Awareness and and knowledge of food has grown so much, and I'm thankful for it, too, because uh, people are more interested in different kinds of food now than they were 20, 30 years ago.
0: And plant-based products? I mean, that's a thing that that even five years ago wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now.
1: Absolutely. Oh, there's so many plant-based food products out now. Um, And that's one of the substitutes that's throughout the book. I should mention that the substitutes are actually organized by category. So mm-hmm. if you just ran out of something, um, there's a category for, you know, if, if you don't have it. Uh, but if you're actually looking to substitute because you want to lower the fat in something or lower the calories, yeah. uh, there is a, a category called for better health. Uh, so vegan substitutes fall in, in that category, and there are all kinds of, of substitutes that you would expect, like, um, you know, there's plant-based ground beef instead of, Animal ground beef uh, that you can get now, um, or plant-based milk. But there are some unusual ones, unusual ones too, like eggs, for instance. Um, there is a fantastic uh, substitute for eggs called aquafaba, which mm-hmm. basically means bean, bean water. <laughs> and it is the leftover canning liquid from canned chickpeas. That liquid has enough protein in it from the beans to mimic egg whites. And, and even whole eggs. You can use it to make plant-based meringue and to make plant-based mayonnaise. And there are recipes for both of those in the book.
0: So I gather when you when you open that tin of chickpeas, you don't throw the, the, the liquid away, do you?
1: I don't. Um, yeah. I usually put it into a core container and stick it in the fridge. And then if I don't use it after a week or so, I, I do toss it. But usually I will use it to make uh, some kind of aquafaba.
0: This is a fascinating thing about reading the book is, is is these things that we would just throw away in, in, in I was going to say the old days, but it could be as recent as, say, two or three years ago, we're now keeping. I mean, I never thought to keep, say, bacon fat or duck fat even, um, but but these oh, are yeah. things that we should we, we should uh, think about, especially nowadays, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, food is getting more and more expensive, uh, you know, for all the reasons we're aware of with supply chain challenges and labor and climate change, uh, you know, there's just so much that's driving up food costs, it does pay to save things like bacon fat or um, chicken fat from cooking chicken, uh, because you you can use those as cooking fats. Uh, Bacon fat you can use as a substitute for butter in cookies. And if you've got some uh, pecans in there, uh, maybe some molasses, the bacon fat is actually going to make those cookies taste fantastic. So yeah, Save, save those cooking sets.
0: Yeah, And speaking of, of, of the different kinds of milk and, and other substitutes, I mean, in, it, you know, not too long ago we would have thought that there are only two kinds of people in the world. Someone to take a can of tomato soup and either use water or milk. And, and now there are myriad ways, as we read in, in, in your book, um, of things to use if, if um, we don't want to use, say, whole milk or cream. Um and and if we're health conscious or if we, if we want to say be creative and, and say uh, experiment with other sorts of uh, substitutes, right?
1: Absolutely yeah, milk is a great example actually. Um, you know the, obviously there are the plant-based milks if you're looking to find a plant-based substitute for uh, for regular milk. but there are also you know milk is a is part of a family of dairy products so you can often, swap in another dairy product in the same family, like half and half or heavy cream mm-hmm. uh, or even evaporated whole milk. Um, you know, if you have powdered dry milk on hand, you can mix that with water and uh, make that actually very close to uh, to milk, and that will be a substitute. So there are all kinds of great subs there. This is one of the pieces of advice that I give people uh, in general when they're thinking about uh, substituting is to consider the family – that the ingredient you're substituting is in. So what food family is it in? Beans is another example. You know, if you recipe calls for pinto beans and you don't have any, well, what else in the bean family might work? Could you use black beans? And do you have those? Could you use chickpeas? Uh, You know, and in the dairy family, like we were just saying, if you don't have milk, if you don't have yogurt, if you don't have sour cream, maybe there is another substitute in that same family. That
0: you do have yeah like buttermilk for example one might not have that on hand regularly um, you, you can use regular milk as I read in, in uh, the food substitutions Bible and and add say lemon juice or vinegar
1: that is correct yes about one cup of buttermilk with uh, you know, it's just that you basically you want to add like maybe a tablespoon of uh, some acidic liquid which would be lemon juice yeah. um, or another citrus juice or vinegar that is pretty close to buttermilk it's not quite as rich and creamy uh, the flavor is a little different from the citrus or vinegar obviously but um it will perform the same way yeah. uh, which is the important thing in baking that it's got uh, a similar acidity
0: yeah and it's healthier if if you're thinking about that um and it works right. in a pinch which is it's a marvelous thing about this book is that um we we learn about things that that we can do to improvise and, and you have a marvelous philosophy that uh, do whatever works, and I think uh, that's what um, I think precludes a lot of people um, from, say, trying something new, or uh, trying some 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 uh, you know nice-looking recipe that we see online, uh, because we don't have a lot of this stuff. But um, if we have your book on hand, th- there's a, there's a way to get it done, right? Exactly.
1: I think that's one of the the biggest fears that inexperienced cooks have is that they're going to mess something up. And if they don't follow the recipe exactly, it's not going to turn out right. Well, often you can play with the recipe, and this is what chefs do all the time. Uh, You know, they make a living off of doing that. They riff on older recipes or older dishes, and they swap in different ingredients or different techniques or different herbs, different spices all the time to make it their own. Home cooks should do the same thing. If you see a recipe, there's there's no reason why you can't play with it a little bit and make it your own, or if you ran out of an ingredient, substitute something else. Now, with baking, you do have to be a little more careful because right. there are functional ingredients in there, but that's actually addressed in the book. When you are substituting something like eggs, which do have a function in baking, if you substitute something else, uh, the book says, well, you may want to make this adjustment as well. Um, so... Even though baking is a little trickier, there is guidance in the book for that.
0: I have a, a, an awful cinnamon allergy, and so I went to see, as soon as I got the book, um, to see what uh, one could substitute for cinnamon, and, you know, things like nutmeg um, will work, and I guess in a pinch, literally, um, if I if I need that, uh, if, if if the recipe calls for cinnamon, right?
1: Yes, yeah, there's a whole, the great thing about, Spices and herbs and other flavorings like that is they will not functionally impact the recipe at all. Mm. So you can change the flavor as much as you like. And cinnamon, there are lots of options. You just think of all the other warming winter spices. They're often called, um, you know, nutmeg, allspice, uh, even cardamom uh, could be used. Um, and obviously, it's not going to taste like cinnamon, but it it's it's similar, and it may actually take your recipe um in a direction you'd like it to go
0: another great thing in in your your book david is um, are, are these tables in the back and and uh, uh th- throughout the last uh, couple of years especially well, well in canada we, we see recipes from the united states that call for a stick of butter and for the longest time i didn't know what a stick of butter was or how what that measured out to um and you know there are tables in the back that, that help with measurements and the sort and I can't help but think that that people must be tearing out some of these pages in the back and and sticking them on their their walls, their their kitchen walls or their cupboard doors. Um,
1: (laughs) I love that idea. I hope they are. (laughs) You know, I've I've been writing cookbooks for 30 years now, so these kinds of uh, conversions uh, for metric to imperial measurements, for instance, you know, I'm very used to them, but not everyone is. So, yes, those tables are very helpful. So you can see if a recipe calls for... Uh, let's say it's a, a half ounce of something, a fluid ounce of some liquid, and you don't really know what what that is, and you just have a, a spoon measurement, mm-hmm. you know, that's one tablespoon, and it shows you in the back of the book um, all of these conversions. And there are other ones for ingredients, too, which are very helpful. Uh, rather than putting all of the substitutes for a red delicious apple, for instance, in the apple entry, um, I put those in a chart in the back, for things like apples, pears, uh, Asian noodles, where the ingredient ingredient is very similar. And what you really want is, well, is this one, in the case of apples, is this best for baking? Mm -hmm. If I substitute, um, you know, a Braeburn with a Gold Delicious in my apple pie, is that going to work? So that table is in the back of the book. Uh, So I call those ingredient guides. They are super useful. And there's some other ones like... um, People say all the alcohol cooks off when you oh, yeah. cook with alcohol. Yeah. Well, that's not actually true. It doesn't all cook off, and it depends on the cooking method and the cooking time. So there's a chart of how much alcohol cooks off in different types of dishes, uh, and that, that's helpful too. So there's some interesting info in the back there.
0: Yeah, I always assume that, that if you've lit something, you you flambeed something, it was pretty much gone as soon as the flame was gone, but as we read in that table, or in that chart, um, it would take a long time for, for it to actually cook off if, if if that's what we wanted, right?
1: Exactly, yeah, and it, time is the key factor there, because flambéing is done uh, often at the last minute. Yeah. Um, you know, with, say, Bananas Foster, it's it's more of a, a show at the table, and you just uh, ignite the alcohol. The the short amount of time for flambéing does not actually reduce the alcohol very much. It, it's not the case that all of the alcohol burns off. So a long-cooked dish that is just simmered um, yeah. for hours and hours, more alcohol will actually
0: cook off in that case. Like a stew, for example, yeah. Um, right. Um, the... the um, the other thing that the other one some of the other parts of the book like the, the the tables of the different potatoes and the and the different mushrooms I found incredibly fascinating you know i'm i'm looking out now for things that i 've never tried before as a result um, adjusting our cooking times and temperatures according to how high we are from say sea level that 's something i don 't think I ever considered until i I saw that in the in the book um I was actually in the grocery store a, a, a few weeks ago, and I, I happened to be looking at one of those—you um, know, those cake boxes that that uh, that one can take home and just add, say, eggs and oil, and and—and um, yeah. and I, I happened to just look at the back of it, and and um, the times vary depending on the sort of pan one uses, and and you have a, a section in the book about cooking vessels and pans, right?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, the. Biggest influence, and this is for all kinds of cooking, the biggest influence on cooking time is not the density of your food, it's not necessarily the volume of your pan. Do you know what it is? Yeah. What influences cooking time more than anything else? Thickness. What, what? Mm. It is the, the thickness of your food. So if you have a, uh, a, a let's say, a, a not very wide pan, like a yeah a pan that doesn't have a big diameter, but it's very deep, that makes the food very thick, and it will take longer to cook through. It's the same thing with a steak. A thicker steak takes longer to cook through than a thinner one. Um, so, yes, there is information in the back on, um, on pan size conversions um, and also on baking at altitude, and that's just because of air pressure. Um, you know, there's less uh, air pressure at higher altitudes, uh, so it's um, it, it what that that means that uh, the lower air pressure is just it's causing the liquid to heat more slowly
0: Indeed. Indeed.
1: Uh, so it's yeah it's, it's it's super interesting and people who cook at high altitude they regularly make those adjustments to recipes but um, depending on where you are that could be that could be the reason why your recipe takes longer or shorter to cook than what's in the recipe you know the, when you make that dish at home that could be a factor
0: yeah people complain that it, it, it either takes uh, uh too long and, and they burn the thing or um they're not thinking about um you know how much time they need to use i mean th- these things do matter rather than say whatever's written down in a, in a in a recipe um it, because of the, pa- the pandemic the last two and a half three years now um A lot of us are cooking more at home. Um, Do you think our conception of food or conception of cooking, say, that's changed a great deal? I mean, I I think people uh, at the same time now want to save more, as as you alluded to a moment ago. Um, um, Do do you think that our ideas of, of how to cook, I mean, like I can't think of just how valuable a book like yours is now, um, for, for those of us that, that want to try to cook more at home.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the pandemic was a, a boon to home cooking. And um, for people like me, I'm I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic. And, and now that we're coming out of the pandemic, more people are going out to eat um, and maybe cooking at home less. But I think because of that, people have a greater appreciation of what goes into cooking And they have a greater appreciation of what chefs do and even just sourcing ingredients. When you're cooking for, um, say, a holiday meal, uh, you have a greater appreciation for um, being able to get good ingredients or just being able to get the ingredients in your store um, because of supply chain challenges. So, yes, I do think that the pandemic has increased the awareness um, of, of good food and also inspired more people to cook, which is fantastic. Um, and there are money-saving uh, substitutes in the book as well, and that's a big concern for people these days. As we mentioned, food prices are just going through the roof. Yeah. Um, and there are all kinds of ways to save money with simple simple substitutes um, or, or just, just strategies for shopping, for instance. you know, Obviously, buying in bulk is going to cost less because there's less packaging yeah. and there's also less waste. Um, but you can save money by buying frozen produce, for instance, Um, frozen peas, most frozen produce is actually picked at the peak of ripeness and very quickly uh, frozen through a technology called IQF, individual quick freezing, which keeps the ingredients separate and freezes them very quickly, which does retain a lot of their nutrients. Uh, So things like frozen peas, frozen blueberries, uh, even frozen squash, um, those are fantastic to buy, and they are, in many cases, than buying the fresh ingredient so that that's an option as well
0: yeah I mean just thinking about buying a squash for example you you, there's a lot of work that goes into it and and a lot of things that you have to throw out because you know you you can't use the stem for example or the some people take the skin off if you buy it frozen right um, you've saved yourself the the work and and you're you're paying for the actual product rather than the stuff that you're going to clean off right
1: exactly exactly
0: I, I never wanted a pressure cooker in the house because th- those things, frankly, they, they terrify me. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of people have, you know, uh, instant pots now and, and, and other devices like sous vide things. Um, but, but in the book, you write that a, a tight-fitting lid, more time and more liquid will do the job as, j- just as good as a pressure cooker, right?
1: Yes, it, it won't um, pressure cook per se. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it, what a pressure cooker does is it cuts time down. So if you have the time for a stew, if you have a recipe that calls for a pressure cooker and it's a stew, if you have a few hours to let it simmer away on low heat on a weekend day when you're home, you absolutely do not need a pressure cooker. Um, You can certainly cook that in a pot with a tight fitting lid. But you're right, a lot of people these days have instant pots which um, they pressure cook uh, they might uh, They might also air fry. There are all kinds of multi-cookers uh-huh. on the market these days. Um, I never bought one of those because I do have a pressure cooker and I actually do like it. One of the things that makes very well and saves a ton of time and effort is risotto. Mm. Um, the pressure of the pressure cooker actually breaks apart the rice as it's cooking, much like the rice would be broken if you stirred it manually. So you do get the release of starch and you do get the creaminess that um, happens through a more traditional process of stirring risotto for a long time. So I I do like the pressure cooker for some applications.
0: Yeah, I'm always afraid that the thing's going to explode. <laughs>
1: <But>. <laughs> yeah, the, the newer ones, the modern ones, um, are much safer. Yeah. Uh, those the, the older ones, the jiggle-top models, those were actually kind of dangerous, but the newer ones have a couple of safety features built in uh, so that um, that does not happen.
0: You, you know, I mentioned Instant Pots, and, and you mentioned air fryers a moment ago. Um, I don't have any of those things, and I can't imagine having any of those things because I don't have the counter space. I, 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 I shudder to think how, how people living, say, in apartments have all this stuff in, 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 in their kitchen. But, I mean, that's one of the well, modern think, things that, that's happening now, especially since the pandemic. I mean, people have been buying this stuff, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on how often you cook and, um, and what you cook, you know, yeah. whether you need all of these different appliances. Um, you know, if, if you don't cook a lot of stews and need to, um, you know, cook them quickly, you may not need a pressure cooker or an Instant Pot. Uh, if you already have a slow cooker, maybe you don't need an Instant Pot. Um, and how much are you going to use these appliances. So, yeah, that, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of spoiled because this is my profession, so I do have a lot of equipment, actually. Wow. Um, do I use it all every day? No. Um, you know, some of these appliances I only use once a month or so. But um, it is, it's worthwhile just taking a look at what you cook most often and whether an appliance is really going to be useful in your kitchen or if it's just going to take up space.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other thing that struck me, uh, David, as I was reading the book, is just how well-made it is. I mean, it lays flat, so you can um, have it open to any section. Uh, you can keep it on your counter, um, and it looks nice, and I'm sure it's going to be one of those books that people will have in their kitchens that will get stained and, and <laughs> marked up in the sort. Um, you must be hearing from people who, who have, say, the, the previous two editions and have been using it in the same way, have you?
1: I have, actually, and they are so thankful for this third edition for just the reasons you mentioned, that <laughs> it is much more durable.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so the, just so the listeners know, the previous editions, had uh, they were paperback books mm. um, with color covers, but the interior was all black and white, and it was uh, a little more utilitarian um, and still organized like a dictionary from A to Z, but the new edition is full color with beautiful illustrations. Um, very good production qualities, like you said. You know, good paper, a hard cover, lays flat, um, and it's it's a big book. It's five pounds. This is actually the heaviest book I've ever done. <laughs> it weighs five pounds, which is it, it's big, but it, it is a fantastic kitchen reference for anyone to have in their in their home.
0: And the colored illustrations are awfully charming. Um, They're actually very pretty to look at.
1: They are yeah I love those uh, Emily Isabella
0: drew those, and she did a fantastic job. Yeah. love them what um it's been it, just recently last week I guess it was Thanksgiving in your country and and Christmas is coming up are are these uh, big uh, cooking days at your house?
1: Oh, absolutely yeah um those are some of the biggest cooking days of the year actually. Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving is the biggest cooking uh, day of the year in in the u s uh yeah. Um, I usually have family over. I did make a lot of different dishes. One of the more interesting ones, uh, in in addition to the traditional uh, cranberry sauce, which this year was cranberry chutney for me, Mm -hmm. uh, and mashed potatoes and stuffing and that sort of thing, one of the more interesting dishes I made was a roasted whole stuffed pumpkin with wild mushroom truffled risotto uh, and, um, and a few different cheeses in there. Uh, some herbs. It was fantastic. All roasted outside
0: on the grill. That's you know, I'm, I'm, it's it's nearly lunchtime here in Vancouver, and that's just made me hungry. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll let you go, David. This is such, such a useful, a beautiful book. Congratulations, and continued good luck with it. I'm, I'm sure I've I've already bought another copy because I'm I'm going to give it to, to people I know. So, um, uh, thanks for your time today. I Appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much,
0: and uh, enjoy the holidays. The website for more is at DaveJewakam.com. The book is called The Food Substitutions Bible, 8,000 Substitutions for Ingredients, Equipment, and Techniques. Uh, it's its third edition, and it's published by Robert Rose. Uh, its author, Dave Joachim, joined me on the line from Pennsylvania and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.